Hello and welcome to the 69th episode of Total Pop Mode, your weekly comedy gaming podcast. Should be a nice episode this week. Giggity. My name is Will and I also go by Hoodafunk and I'm joined here by my good friend, co-host and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's up you organically ostracised ostriches? Coming up this episode, we've got our weekly regular games catch up, followed by the weekly gaming news where we focus on two very big stories this week. I'm of course talking about the release of the Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer, as well as the results and reveals of the Game Awards 2023. We'll round off this episode with potentially the final episode of the Games Challenge for this year. Will a winner be revealed? Stick around to find out. But before all of that, let's lay out the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pop Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash hoodafunk. Okay, man, so it's your turn to start off the catch-up this week. What have you been playing? So, apologies in advance for my voice in this. I, I am a little bit under the weather, as you can probably tell. Um, and as a result, I haven't played all that much this week at all. I can talk about one thing, which is I've... Um, because it's that time of year where I start getting into Pokemon again, I have picked up a bit of Pokemon Yellow, a bit of Generation 1. Oh, wow, okay. Started from the very beginning. Yeah, I found it in a drawer and was like, oh, shit, there it is. Uh, the battery still works, so I can still save and shit, which is a problem for some games but not Generation 1, apparently. And yeah, I've just played a little bit of that. Nothing major to talk about, really. Just, you know, having fun with it. Covering old ground. Yeah, you know, I know this game very well. Don't know... I say that. I know this generation very well. I don't know Yellow as well. Red and Blue are really where I'm at. And they're different enough like with the teams that the enemies have and things like that. So I take it this is in lieu of the fact that there hasn't been any new Pokemon released this year? No, no, this is just because I found it and I fancied it. Oh, right, okay, okay, yeah, like a fancy. Over Christmas, I'll probably start Violet again and maybe buy the DLC, but uh, no, it's been playing a bit Pokemon Yellow, but other than that, nothing really to say. Haven't played much else at all, unfortunately. So how about you, man? What have you been playing? So this week I took a little bit of a break from Tears of the Kingdom and I moved over and actually went back to play Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, very nice. So this was a game that I initially played and I had pretty good things to say about on the podcast. Um, although maybe behind the scenes I hadn't admitted that for whatever reason, I just hadn't vibed with the game in that moment enough for me to continue playing it, continue talking about it. So it kind of very quickly faded into the background after the first couple of weeks of the hype of the 2.0 update and then Phantom Liberty releasing. Um, I took a pretty long hiatus and hadn't really returned to it until uh, just this past week. And I've got to say, uh, I've still got all the same positive things to say about the game. Admittedly, I did start the game again, so this isn't really going to be a very kind of content-filled uh, update from me either. I, I actually haven't gotten as far in the story mode as I did previously. That's the problem with games that you've put down for so long you're like oh i've forgotten how to play this now i may as well start again honestly it was really needed and interestingly i've also had the exact same thing with the witcher as well it took me quite a few attempts at starting the game from the beginning with the witcher before i had an attempt where for some reason everything just kind of clicked in my head and i really started appreciating the strengths of the game and enjoying it that's not to say that i had bad experiences the first couple of times i tried the witcher or, you know, as I'm talking about Cyberpunk now, I, I didn't have a bad experience the first time around. I just feel like there was a component of my brain that was not accepting the new game for whatever reason. And uh, 
yeah, so for whatever reason, this time around, it really did click with me. And as a result, I've actually been taking a bit more time to stop and smell the roses as well. I've been exploring the environment. As I mentioned earlier, I haven't done as much of the story missions I had previously, but I have done a whole lot more side missions and walking around, checking out the various things to do in the world and having a pretty good time doing that as well. I'm really enjoying, for the most part, just walking around the city and kind of picking up on little bits and pieces of lore as you walk around and you can hear pedestrian chatter or you can read news and signs that are going on, advertisements and bits and pieces off the radio. Just because at this point, I'm really enjoying the world and I think having watched Edge Runners, the uh, kind of side anime project that was going on at the same time, I think that that's kind of helped hook me back into it and have a bit of a better understanding and interest in the world as well yeah helps if you've got some cohesion from another medium as well yeah definitely yeah and a bit more context as well because um cyberpunk does kind of drop you in there and uh there's a lot of stuff that you're introduced to uh without much context it's just kind of thrown in there as if you know what they're talking about already because obviously your character is already a part of that world and understands what everyone's talking about <laughs> so maybe it was just a little bit of being overwhelmed on my first attempt but uh this time around i'm really enjoying it um i've also actually experienced quite early on one of the early missions you can do just how differently things can pan out or depending on the different choices you make in said mission that's right exactly and beforehand as well there's a couple of things that you can do that will change the outcome of the mission i believe so i'll just give a bit of context to this there's a gang called maelstrom that have robbed a piece of high-tech equipment from a corporation called militech and your mission in that is to retrieve this piece of equipment from Maelstrom because your boss had a former deal with the Maelstrom boss. They had an agreement that he was going to purchase this piece of high-tech equipment. Unfortunately, the Maelstrom boss got capped and has been replaced by another guy who's now refusing to hand over the merchandise. At that point in the game, you have a couple of options. You can go straight into the scenario, or you can actually meet with someone from Militech, who, depending on how you get on with them, will actually hand you over a credit chip, and they say that they want to pay for this high-tech piece of equipment with their own money instead. I believe, in terms of the ending that I got, one of the prerequisites that you need to do is actually hack into that data chip with all the credits on there, and remove some sort of wire or trace that they've installed on that money. And if you actually manage to do that before you initiate the conversation with Maelstrom where you go in there and try and bargain for this piece of high-tech equipment, you can actually hand over the money and give them the heads up that you've removed the bug so that Militech won't be able to find them. Oh, that's quite jokes. They're double-crossing. Yeah, exactly that. And in my first attempt of this game, I kind of sided with the Militech company. I gave them the credits. It ended up in a firefight. And I ended up duking it out with all of the Maelstrom gang members in their hideout. However, on this time round, because I explained about the chip to them and I was acting really friendly with them, Militech ended up freaking out because it turns out they'd been following us the whole time. They actually made a preemptive attack on the gang hideout and I managed to escape the place with some of the gang members whilst fighting Militech people this time on my way out. So that was a pretty distinct and different outcome in the game. It was really nice to see and definitely kind of feeds into more of my anticipation in terms of playing the rest of it. Because if that's a taste of how the different outcomes can play, um, I might have even undersold it a bit there. But it definitely felt like a, a very different section that you were progressing through with the fact that you even had an additional NPC gang member that was working with you that you make friends with. And it's reinforced the fact that I definitely want to go through this game a handful of times to just experience all of the different routes and things like that. Yeah, sounds very CD Projekt Red there. I wouldn't expect anything less, to be honest. The side content and the way the worlds are built is, that's like their bread and butter is what they're the best at. That is great to hear that that is actually the case. And you might even be able to get different guild quests, different 
like I don't know if companions are in it, but different companions. Like you say, you made friends with that matey. So very cool to hear. Yeah, yeah, that's all to come. Really, I've I've got no idea. As I say, I've still yet to actually progress into the main chunk of the game. I think that this heist that I'm building my way up to now which is coincidentally the reason why we needed that piece of high-tech equipment, is going to be the the end of the tutorial part of the game, if you know what I mean. It's it's going to kind of put you into the game proper at that stage. The equivalent of White Orchard in The Witcher 3. Right, exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to make the same comparison. <laughs> uh, but other than that, there isn't a great deal of news to say. I'm really enjoying that game, and I'll definitely be reporting back sometime soon uh, with some more of that. I don't have a very busy weekend this weekend, so I definitely know where a good chunk of my time is going to go. There you go. Happy days. But with that said, I think it's time to move on to the weekly gaming news. Okay, so our first article up this week, the Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer has finally been revealed. So if you weren't aware of this piece of news already, what rock were you sleeping underneath? I was going to say, we told you about it last week, for one. And secondly, what the hell? You should know. Everyone knows. People that don't game know about this. The release wasn't without issue, though, as the trailer was actually leaked on X.com around 15 hours before the official go-live time on December 5th. Rockstar quickly responded by releasing the trailer early themselves, citing the leak on their Rockstar X account, and urging fans to go watch The Real Thing on YouTube. And watch it they did, because I think it's now got more views than the GTA 5 trailer in a day or some sh**, it was crazy. It did, we'll get onto it later on, but they absolutely smashed records. Many fans reacted in anger to these leaks though, with some claiming it was an attempt at ruining one of the biggest moments in gaming in the last decade. So, I absolutely agree with that, it's... It, kind of reeks a little bit of the kid that rushes ahead and blows out your birthday candles <laughs> before you get a chance to it just i don't see any purpose or benefit of doing this other than to earn attention and clout for yourself as a leaker i i completely agree with you but it didn't bother me if you know what i mean i don't think it takes away from the release i just think it's a shitty thing to do yeah i agree with that there's no need for it there's just no need for it yeah and it's not funny and it was bad quality apparently and like, it just it just stop it the trailer itself confirmed several rumors about the game Particularly, the name of the female protagonist of the game, Lucia. The name of her male counterpart, who is rumoured to be involved with Lucia in a Bonnie and Clyde-style relationship, has yet to have been confirmed. The game has also been confirmed to take place back in Vice City, a location that hasn't been revisited in a mainline title since 2002, over 20 years ago. And your boy's personal favourite cityscape in the whole GTA franchise. Vice City is my favourite game of, of all Do you know... I'm with you, man. San Andreas, close second. Like, I was talking to my mate Sai about this the other day. San Andreas is a close second, but Vice City, like, that story, the fact that you got the f***ing Faggio. <laughs> it's all back. Top tier. I think that uh, it's also the game out of the series that was in most need of a revamp of that area. We kind of got a lot of San Andreas in GTA 5. We got a lot of GTA 3, Liberty City in GTA 4. So it was high time that we took a trip back to Vice City. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to see more of it. But what's changed in those 20 years, you might ask? Graphics. <laughs> well, bot jiggle physics is one thing that the internet has been talking about from the trailer, as it featured a woman twerking on the back of a car as it races by the camera. Many fans are excited by this footage, and not just for the obvious reasons. <laughs> they are actually hoping it's a sign of the high level of attention to detail that this game will be receiving. And to be fair, 
Rockstar are well known for placing a lot of value on small details that help immerse the player. Yeah, and I agree with that completely. This is going to make me sound a bit like a dick, but if it hadn't had things like that, I would have been very disappointed. I expect that from Rockstar. And they didn't disappoint. <laughs> they did not disappoint with the butt jiggle physics. James, we've gone from shrinking horse nuts to jiggling big butts, and I'm all here for it. Oh, dude, I'm right there with you. Amongst the footage shown in the trailer, we see gorgeous environments, streets, clubs, bayous, and beaches, complete with large amounts of on-screen characters and NPCs. Much more than we've seen in previous GTA titles as well, it's definitely worth noticing the crowd density of this game looks tweaked up to 11, which is fantastic to see. Yeah, and I just want to congratulate you at this point, because I believe that on last week's episode you said that it, that was exactly what it was going to be. You said, I expect lots of sweeping landscape shots, I expect to see the city, <laughs> yeah. so... Nailed it, dude. Although we did actually get to see quite a bit of a reveal of Lacia's character as well, which I got to say I wasn't expecting so much. We did say that we didn't think there'd be any character reveal, and I was surprised to see as much as we did. So I imagine that trailer number two is probably going to focus on this mysterious male counterpart that we got a couple glimpses of in this trailer as yeah, well. Dave, yeah. Dave, is that what you've dubbed him? For now. Dave and Lucia. Yeah, I mean, you know. It doesn't not work. Bonnie and Clyde, Lucia and Dave, innit? Yeah. <laughs> All of this just works. Uh, also in the trailer, we even got to see some alligators being a pest and making their way onto the streets and into shops, similar to real-life videos captured in Florida, which is the location that Vice City has been based off of. It's just top-tier stuff, isn't it? Who doesn't like a f***ing alligator going into a shop? I really hope that we're going to see that. I'm sure it'll probably be some sort of random occurrence or some yeah. side mission oh, of when, some sort. When you're holding up a store and then a f***ing alligator comes and ruins it. Oh, my God. Oh, that could be sick. <laughs> <gasps> robot alligators. <laughs> <laughs> Where did the robot bit come from? I don't know. Probably a bit too Saints Row, that. But. <laughs> they always have some sort of random thing in there. I'm fully expecting there to be, if there's any sort of paranormal life, I mean, there was that rumour of Bigfoot in San Andreas that became a reality in GTA V, and I kind of hope that they lean into that in Florida as well. The Florida Mothman, that's one of the things. There's a big Mothman out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that we'll see a Mothman reference in the game. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it now. That'll that'll almost definitely be in there. So there'll be some sort of like nonsense, something like that, and that's a great idea. But we're moving away from the point. The graphics in this game look absolutely phenomenal. And Rockstar does have a good history of delivering on their promises in terms of graphical fidelity that they've shown in their early trailers. Normally with things like this, if it's not going to be representative, there'll be a little message in the bottom right that says not actual gameplay footage, right? I didn't see anything saying that it wasn't in-engine stuff or... It's totally in-engine, exactly. for it, sure. It all sure. looked like, okay, yeah, this I can see this. This can actually be a thing. And as you say, their track record suggests that that's exactly what it will look like as well, which is a damn sight more impressive than those uh, uh, leaks we got earlier on in the year. Yeah, yeah, consider those early leaks wiped from my memory. And as you'd probably expect from one of the biggest game franchises in existence, as James hinted at earlier, the trailer set YouTube ablaze and broke records, reaching over 100 million views within 24 hours of its release. We'll be waiting a while for the actual release though, sadly, as the trailer closes with the logo of the game and the words coming 2025 appearing below. We did expect this though, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We knew that was going to be uh, uh, the case. There was no way that this had a 2023 and it was very unlikely that had a 2024 release date given how deep we're into 2023. And to be honest, looking at what it looks like, I'm actually a little surprised it's 2025. I mean, like that looks next gen on top of the next gen to me. Rockstar do have an insane knack of cranking out performance in their games though. It was almost a miracle that GTA 5 was ever able to run on the 360. Yeah, I had it on the 360 and it, looked, and it was great. Like, 
it ran brilliantly. Yeah, it looks amazing. What I will say is I do think that this game comes out late 2025. I think it'll be red dead style october just in enough time for it to be top of everyone's christmas list as well exactly that you'll get all the day one people and then you'll get everyone just like surefire win for christmas just by gta 6 um, but interestingly again i was talking to my mate si about this and he said that he'd seen a rumor that it might be as early as april in 2025 i did read an article today that actually suggested that it could be end of q1 start of q2 Which so april, yeah i've seen so. kind of corroborating as well so yeah just under a year and a half away if that's the case so doesn't seem like much time honestly it doesn't at all and i I wasn't i'd said to you certainly i can't remember if i said it on the pod i wasn't like mad excited about this yet because it had we hadn't seen anything yet now we've seen something it looked so good like it it just did who can deny that it looks like it's going to be amazing i can't wait for the next trailer i'm right there with you man i absolutely agree with all of the things that i saw them try and attempt and succeed at doing in red dead 2 with the hope that they're able to achieve that on a city-wide scale rather than these small towns i would love to see them achieve it i really hope they do it looks fantastic and you know in a lot of ways i've got all the confidence behind them they'll be able to pull this off if anyone can do it rockstar can Okay, so it's time to round off the news section with news of the Game Awards 2023, which took place on December 7th at the Peacock Theatre in Los Angeles. Uh, So one of the first things that I just wanted to pick up, it was a little something that happened very early on as uh, Christopher Judge hopped on stage and uh, fans or followers of the Game Awards may well remember him from last year. He showed up for an award due to his performance as Kratos in the God of War series. He accepted the award and he proceeded to talk for about eight or nine minutes, ignoring various kind of call-off startup music ushering him off stage. He just kept on plowing, uh, which he did actually acknowledge. And kind of alongside that, he also threw some shade at the latest Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 release uh, because he uh, he went on to confirm that the speech that he did last year was most likely longer than Modern Warfare 3's campaign. Savage. <laughs> and, I know, it felt oddly savage. You don't really see shade getting thrown like that at award ceremonies, especially between kind of established celebrities or personalities within the uh, industry like that. It's not really something you air out in public or even typically acknowledge. Oh, I'm here for it, though. I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> He's saying it how it was. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, bit of a bit of an over-exaggeration, but just a funny thing to point out. Yeah, well, he's Kratos. He can do what he wants. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can really argue with Kratos. I mean, I'm not f***ing with him. So, uh, other than that little event that happened at the start of the episode, I think I'm going to kind of split this section up into some of the notable games that got revealed over the course of the event, and we'll roll back round to revisiting our predictions that we made earlier this year in terms of a couple of the notable awards that they gave out over the course of the night. So with all that said, uh, some of the notable games that I picked up during this event, uh, I thought that the God of War Ragnarok Valhalla free DLC uh, sounded really good to me. The footage in it, I kind of watched with squinted eyes because I'm kind of keen not to watch too much of the footage of God of War, the DLC. Uh, I'm really hoping that we will see God of War Ragnarok find its way to PC sometime soon, which sadly the trailer stopped short of confirming. If we get it, it'll be a couple of years, I think. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Sadly. But I just thought it was a really cool thing that Santa Monica are churning out a free DLC for this. Uh, It was always one of my main concerns with the initial release of God of War was that they were going to turn this game into an iterative DLC-loaded title. It wasn't. They released a fully complete game and they did a great job of that. It was also a concern for me in God of War Ragnarok that given the popularity of the first game and how well they're done, they were going to throw it all away and start introducing chunks of DLC that you had to pay for as well. And it's just really cool to see that they're 
fully delivering on this, bringing out free DLC that appears to include additional storylines and things like that. And New Game Plus again, I believe, as well. Oh, brilliant. Really good stuff. Yeah, really nice to see them uh, keeping the fans at the like foremost of their thinking rather than profit as well. Very nice. Uh, so moving back to the other games revealed, Senua's Saga Hellblade 2, which was a follow-up to Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, which we actually covered on A Completionist's Corner earlier this year, the follow-up to that game is coming out sometime in 2024. And I've got to say, from the footage that I saw, the graphics do look phenomenal, much like the first game, although a very noticeable step in an improvement as well. The original game did look phenomenal, but when you hold it up to this one, this one is really mind-blowing, and it's very hard to convince yourself that you're not just watching live-action footage a lot of the time. Well, especially given the age of the first one as well, the fact that they were able to get that sort of graphical fidelity, I think, out of the Xbox One initially. And motion capture performances as well. I think that made such a huge difference, and that was something they clearly focused on strongly in the first game, and, and once again, it's been a strong focus in this one just because of how good it looks. Well, that's good to hear because that was, um, in my opinion, the strongest aspect of that game was the way it looked and felt. So fingers crossed we get more of the same. The environments in this game do look really impressive, very inspired and quite varied as well. So I'm really looking forward to checking out more of the world. And that is a bit of a continuation from the first game as well. Although one thing I will say is based off of some of the gameplay I've seen, I didn't particularly see anything super different other than maybe a few additional combos to her repertoire. So I do get the sense that in terms of depth of combat, they may not have progressed that very far. Well, I think it was more of a puzzle game anyway. So I, I can I can kind of buy into that. It was almost like an experience game where it dabbled with gameplay concepts, with puzzles and combat, and it had those things in them. But... It never felt like that was the primary focus. The primary focus was telling a story and it benefited from those systems because they actually did a good job of doing them, although they did lack a little bit of depth. So up next, another title that really intrigued me, and I think this one might be of interest to you, James, is Rise of the Ronin out March 22nd, 2024. So this is a new game coming out made by Koi Tecmo, uh, which is why I figured it would probably be on your list and uh it does look does look pretty interesting yeah I, I saw sort of rumors of this a while back i think i haven't actually seen the trailer for this so i'll have to check that out after, after the pod but uh hey i've become a big fan of koei tecmo this year so yeah give it to me give me more i'm i'm sure sure it'll be great moving swiftly on uh, a title that i'm particularly interested in is od which is an xbox kojima slash jordan peele collaboration with cloud gaming technology. That's okay. That's a lot of names. Kojima's really kind of working his way through the Hollywood names, isn't he? He's, he's really trying to build as many Hollywood connections as possible because he's really pulling everything together. Well, not only is Jordan Peele f***ing hilarious in Key and Peele, which I implore everyone to check out if they haven't. <laughs> yeah. um, he's also a horror director now, isn't he? Yeah, I really, really liked Us and Get Out. Yeah, apparently they're excellent. So to see him with Kojima and knowing like how funny they can both be in their own ways as well, like uh, this could be really cool. They're both billing this as a horror game. They, they've made very clear to say, don't get this wrong, this is a game, but it's also a movie and it's also a new form of media entirely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kojima bollocks. It's going to be a game, folks. It's, it's going to be a game. It will be a game. I just get the feeling that there's going to be some sort of multiplayer element in there. There was some sort of tagline in the trailer that says something like, for all gamers. And the fact that cloud gaming technology is involved in there, I've just got this weird sense that this is going to be some sort of collective thing. I think it will be like Death Stranding in that sense. I think it could be a shared world type jobby. I don't know if it'll be multiplayer co-op in the traditional sense but some sort of asynchronous with thing the cloud yeah. you're both 
in the same space, but not directly. I mean, who knows? Because you don't know what the f*** it's going to be with Kojima. And now with the added, like, Jordan Peele factor, who knows? And the trailer really doesn't help define or extract what this game is going to be at all. It's just shots of people wearing kind of uh, contact lenses that make their eyes look weird, repeating a really weird phrase into the camera while staring into it in different states of normalness, drowsiness, or looking like they're absolutely scared s***less. So it really doesn't pin down what this game is going to be at all. It just very much announced it. It didn't give a date whatsoever as to when it's releasing, not even a year. No. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see for that one. We also got a release date for Black Myth Wukong, August 20th, 2024. And this is a game that we've both talked about at some length on this pod and one that I know that we're both pretty excited for. Really nice to get a release date for this game because it looks very good. And the trailer gives us quite a nice glimpse into what the game is going to be and just how unique it looks in some instances as well. Yeah, I think this is going to be a pre-order. <laughs> just for no particular reason, but this this one's got the pre-order feeling. Yeah, I just think it will be. It's, uh, it looks incredible. Every time I see more of it, I'm just like, yep, this game is going to be right up my street. Um, it's yeah, going to have a lot of fun yeah. playing it. So uh, if I don't pre-order, it'll certainly be day one. For me, it's the enemy design that really reaches out to me or what I assume are the enemies in the game. Um, they just look very unique and uh, interesting to the eye, uh, whilst also following a lot of that Journey to the West style inspiration as well. I always dig that kind of genre of art anyway, so uh, this is just kind of a, a cool chance. And it looks like incredibly polished and really nice graphics, so good stuff. And crucially, most importantly of all, you get to be a monkey. With a staff. With a staff. No less. I mean, what's what's not to love about that? <laughs> Also, another game that I wanted to mention was the first Berserker Kazan, which is a game that you may not have been aware of. I certainly wasn't off before the Game Awards. I'm not aware of this. It has no release date for it. It is a kind of semi cell shaded anime-style hardcore action RPG that definitely looks like it's going to share a place with something like Dark Souls. I saw quick dodging, I saw dodge rolling, I saw fighting big bosses with weapons and telegraphed attacks that you need to dodge. On a on a quick look, the gameplay looks very familiar, I've got to say. You can definitely see where they're taking some of their inspiration from, let's just say that. Oh, I'm looking at some screenshots and it looks lovely. Yeah. I thought you you dig the art style of this, but once you see some gameplay as well, I think that you'll be looking forward to this one for sure. Uh, we also finally got a release date, I, I never thought it was coming, for Skull and Bones, February 16th, 2024. It finally happened. I, I genuinely thought that game was dead in the water, pardon the pun. Well, no, I think a lot of us did. I think uh, even Ubisoft did at one point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say, this isn't a game that jumps out to me. So, admittedly, I've got to admit, I never actually played far enough in Assassin's Creed Black Flag to ever experience the ship combat. Well, if we're doing admissions, buddy, I've never even played Black Flag, so... Right. <laughs> but I have played uh, Odyssey, which has ship mechanics, so presumably it's the same thing. Probably quite similar. But I always hear people praise these ship fighting mechanics, and a large selling point of Skull and Bones, I think, is that it has a lot of that style of combat in there. Um, I just really wasn't expecting to see a release date for this game. And it's two months away. Like, it's not even far. That's the bit that I'm more like, what about? Because I did think it was dead, I won't lie. But if they'd said, yeah, coming like August 24, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But two months away with all the trouble that's had in its development, is it going to be good on release? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it does cast a bit of a shade of doubt. But let's be positive. 
I like a pirate game and the boat combat is is fun in Odyssey. I can't speak to any of the other ones. It's very fun in Odyssey. Is it fun enough to warrant a game of its own though? That's the question. If they add a few more bells and whistles to it, maybe. Oh, fair enough. Um, okay. It's very it's really fun, really cool. Um especially when you get like loads of ships and you're fighting against them, it can be some, there's some really cool stuff you can do. But it does have to be fleshed out quite a bit, I'd say otherwise I think it would get boring especially the length that Ubisoft like to make their games. Oh, well, fingers crossed it ends up turning out uh, to be worth the wait. As the show was starting to come to a close, we also had No Man's Sky creator Sean Murray return and drop a new, quote, more ambitious project than No Man's Sky. So this game is rumoured, and I do say rumoured, given Sean's (laughs) uh, track record with game announcements, is a multiplayer procedural fantasy game uh, that goes by the name of Light No Fire also with no release date. Um, However, this does look quite interesting. You can definitely tell that they're using a lot of the technology that they're building off of No Man's Sky. They've put it in a fantasy world this time, which is is a nice take. It's moving away from the sci-fi world. You can see examples of dinosaur riding, beast riding, and things like that, exploring. It could well be good. The only thing that I'm interested to see is nothing in that trailer to me suggested that it was more ambitious than No Man's Sky, which is, you know, like a a universe-wide game. It's interesting that he didn't really elaborate on that anymore. Probably for the best, because there would be a lot of people wondering what the hell is actually going to happen if he talked up this game too much. Would there just be another No Man's Sky release situation on his hands? So probably wisely keeping Stum there. Um, but the things that I did see did make me willing to give this game a look and uh, keep my eyes on it for a little longer anyway. I agree with you that the fantasy setting drew me in more than sci-fi space exploration as well. And I'm also thinking that with a more focused approach to a world rather than a universe, you might actually be able to do some really impressive stuff with the No Man's Sky technology building into a planet as opposed to exploring loads of other planets. The, the way I feel about this game right now I'm glad to know that it exists, but I'm not going to pay any attention to it until it gets a release date. And it's <laughs> release, yeah. Because he's going to say a bunch of shit. I'm not going to believe any of it. So I just, I'll just i just wait for it, I think. But I'm glad to know that this is in development and it exists. Because, as you say, it has the potential to be really cool. Okay, so now we come to the last couple of bits. One thing that I'm really excited for that I mentioned on the podcast previously that I never actually got the opportunity to play because I was away on holiday at the time and I was working off a laptop that just did not have the hardware to cope with this game. The finals has finally released. It got a release date, which is now at the time of recording. They did another Apex Legends where they showed off the game and they said, hey, guess what? The moment you get home tonight, get that installed and play it. And you know what? That's exactly what I did. I have yet to play it myself, but i got to say at the time of recording on this podcast, it is installed. So alongside Cyberpunk this weekend, I know where the other chunk remaining of my weekend is going to go. It's going to be a very split weekend between the finals and Cyberpunk. That's good. I know you've been looking forward to this one. So much so that you were asking anyone that could to be like, yo, can you jump on the beta and let me know how it is? Yeah, I really wanted to get some confirmation from people I knew that it was actually good. And the feedback that I've received has been really positive. So good stuff. So with that exciting reveal out of the way, it's time that we move on to the biggie, the one that uh, I've been looking forward to discussing, and I was really blown away by this announcement. Me too, and I've seen the trailer, and it looks so good. Monster Hunter Wild. 
This was really big news for me, considering that I've actually been playing quite a bit of Monster Hunter this year, both on the podcast and off the podcast as well. This was really, really welcome news for me to hear. Me too, because when I saw it, I was just like, this is just Monster Hunter World 2 and this is exactly what I want. I was really squinting quite hard to make out whether the graphics were actually Monster Hunter World level, I've got to say, because at a glance sometimes, Rise can actually look kind of good, <laughs> but then when you compare it to World, if you know what I mean, it's, it's a whole different ball game. I was really looking quite harshly at it, thinking like, oh, I really hope that this is World 2. And the fact that it's called Wilds, I think, does suggest that. But there's some also some familiar stuff that you see uh, from Monster Hunter Rise in there as well. Yeah, but that's it's, we've spoken about it off-pod. I think we've spoken about it on-pod. That's the exact sort of thing you want to see. It looks like it's got the scope and size and ambition that World has. You know, you didn't see much. At least what I saw wasn't much in terms of gameplay necessarily. But it looks like from the little trailer, you are going to have a creature that you can ride, you can glide with, you can cl- like jump off rocks with, you can climb sh- with. So improve mobility for sure which is definitely what world needed exactly with the palamutes and you know we didn't see any fucking um string wire bugs. bugs wire bugs sorry i have a feeling that those wire bugs might not be in wilds because we didn't see them part of me is wondering whether wire bugs might kind of remain in monster hunter rise but we'll see something more akin to a better grappling hook hopefully potentially i mean for me because your little your mount because i don't want to speculate on what it is just yet but your mount thing Looks like it can do a lot of the stuff the wirebugs can do, just in terms of being able to get some verticality, jumping above shit, jumping like across shit. But I do hope the grappling hook is still in it because who doesn't love like mounting a monster from like a cliff and then like jumping off and grappling hooking on? It's wicked. So there was really not that much footage. If anything, there's more to talk about the lack of things that we saw in that trailer. One thing that did intrigue me a little bit though was this kind of ensuing dust almost what looks like a white sandstorm that was following the player that the player was clearly fleeing from in the trailer. And it seemed to be swallowing up all of the sub-monsters of the area, as well as one of the large monsters as well. And I'm really interested to know where that comes from. What is that? It may well have some sort of story implication, but... What is this kind of invisible force that is trailing along the earth, disturbing everything and that the player is being forced to run from? I think it's going to be something akin to the Elder Dragons, like Zora Magdaros. It's going to be something like moving that's so vast and so large that it's causing the sand to collapse as it moves. Either that or it's just the Diablos under the sand. And it's just all a big psych out. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, to be fair. Yeah, and I agree with what you've just said there. And the other thing that intrigued me a lot was um, the size of the stampede in that piece of footage we saw. Yeah. If there could be some sort of overworld events where you're getting stampedes of that sort of scale, because you had like mini stampedes in world, and I am being a bit generous, you'd have like six to seven animals running past and like sub ones, not the big ones you actually typically fight. These looked a lot bigger. So if we can get some... Because it was like a good 20 creatures on the screen at one point. If we can get something like that, there's some cool things that could come about from that. Agreed, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to seeing the scale of things being ramped up and the amount of monsters on screen being ramped up as well. Also, it looked like some of them were actually f***ing mammals. So they're not all dragons and lizards. Yes, they've taken some of the Monster Hunter Rise inspiration and brought that into the wilds as well, which is nice to see. So... That is pretty much all of the reveals for the Game Awards. Personally, out of that list, I think there's not really much of a question. Monster Hunter Wilds is uh, probably top of that list, which is why we finished it, saving the best till last, in my opinion, at least. Do you have any other ones that kind of rival there? I guess Black Myth Wukong is, uh, is a great one, but we've known that's coming. 
It's old news, although the release date is really good and it is a game that I'm really looking forward to. I think Monster Hunter Worlds was unquestionably for me the biggest reveal of the whole night. In terms of stuff I didn't know about, yeah, 100%. Nothing else on there has particularly moved me as much as that did. Although I will say that um, first Berserker Kazan thing that you showed me, I'm, I'm going to look more into that and that could potentially be up there for me because that looks right up my street. But, you know, if Monster Hunter Worlds is World 2 or what I want it to be, it's that, 100%. Nice one, man. Well, uh, only time will tell. We've got a long way to wait for a lot of these games. So uh, I suppose it's time that we keep ourselves entertained by moving on to revisiting our predictions that we made earlier on this year. Uh, so James, as he covered the start-up to the Game Awards and the announcement of the nominees, he picked out six of the categories, uh, and we made some predictions earlier on, which I'll cover now, and we'll just run through uh, some of the awards, starting with Game of the Year. The biggie. So uh, Game of the Year was a category that included Alan Wake 2, Baldur's Gate 3, Marvel's Spider-Man 2, Resident Evil 4... Super Mario Bros. Wonder and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, at the time, I guessed that Baldur's Gate 3 was going to probably take this, given, I think, citing reasons uh, around just the hype of the game and all the fantastic things I was hearing about it at the time. So a very uninformed decision there, really, just very much being guided by what I was hearing. And uh, James opted for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which I think was... Probably on that list, in my opinion, the only one that was going to rival Baldur's Gate 3 for this award. Yeah, and I picked that because they were breaking records with their number of sales and it's like the only Switch game anyone's talked about, really, that I can think of. Um, and once again, I've not played it myself, so I perhaps went in like completely with no reason to go for it, especially as I have played Baldur's Gate 3 as well. But everyone I've spoken to that has played Tears of the Kingdom is just had nothing but good things to say about it. So the award actually ended up going to Baldur's Gate 3 for that, and uh, no surprise to me, and absolutely well-deserved, as I'm sure you will agree after now putting quite a bit more time into it since we first discussed it. Uh, I don't know if that's a true statement. I, I really haven't played for like the last month. Um, but, but yes, I, I do. I, I think I said at the time that uh, this was my second choice behind Tears of the Kingdom, um, and uh, I'm not surprised at all that it won, and I'm happy for them because it deserves it. The next award we'll cover is the best art direction, which included The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom once again, Super Mario Bros. Wonder once again, Lies of P, Hi-Fi Rush, and Alan Wake 2. We actually opted for the same game uh, as part of this section. We both went for Lies of P. And I, and I still think they were robbed. Again, it's, it's it's hard to say, given that we both haven't played Alan Wake, so we can't really judge it on, uh, on what we haven't seen. But I just wanted Lies of P to win this one because I wanted them to get something. They deserve something. I agree with you there. It would have been nice that Lies of P got some sort of acknowledgement there. However, Alan Wake 2 did take the award for this one. Yeah, and to be fair, they've won, like, a, a, I can't remember any off the top of my head, but they won a number of other awards this night as well, so it's clearly a very good game, so I can't be too upset, I guess. Even when we talked about it a little bit after seeing an initial reveal of the game, I think I commented saying that visually it did look like a very interesting game, so I'm perfectly willing to believe that it earned that award, um, but, uh, yeah, no, absolutely, I'm right there with you. Lies of P kind of missed out as part of this Game Awards, and I definitely feel like it deserves something. We'll move on uh, to the third award. Uh, best ongoing game, the category entrants were Apex Legends, Cyberpunk 2077, Final Fantasy XIV, 
Fortnite and Genshin Impact. Yeah, and this is a controversial one. I would say, absolutely. So Cyberpunk ended up walking away with this award. Yeah, the only game that's not an ongoing fucking game on the list. Yes, it's, it's certainly not a live action game, which is what I feel kind of deserved to be in this category, is, is games that had a live action focus rather than games that were had a DLC that came out and had a couple updates to kind of bring the game up to speed with what it should have been on release. We, we said at the time it's a single player RPG. It has no right to be on this list. Yes, agreed there. Yeah, I think that No Man's Sky would have been a much better swap out for Cyberpunk because that is much more of a live action game than Cyberpunk is because those updates are expansive. And there have been like 10 of them now. So, uh, yeah, I think that that category was a bit of a surprising one. I went for Apex Legends and I think I said I have absolutely no like judgment. I, I don't know. I've not played any of them really. Like So I just said it because I knew it was popular. My opinion was not to be trusted on this one. Well, it turns out mine either because I actually put my vote for Final Fantasy fourteen on that based on, uh, you know, a... a a tiny bit of experience that I had with it roughly around the time that we started this podcast actually I think was some of the very early coverage of that game that I was talking about and just based on that alone I had a good time with it and I figured that the game has been out for years it does have a good reputation as far as I'm aware so I, I picked that one next up we had best action game and the nominees for this entry were Remnant 2, Hi-Fi Rush, Ghost Runner 2, Dead Island 2 and Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. Yes, and I went for Remnant 2 purely because I had a great time playing it earlier this year, and I haven't played any of the other ones. And who can blame you for going for that? At least you voted for a game that you had some hands-on experience with. Yeah, and it's really good fun. But I, I can't knock the winner, especially based on uh, your high praise of it throughout the year. Exactly. The winner was, of course, Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, and this was my vote. Uh, I, I clearly put my thumb on this one to win because... I think in terms of the scope of what this game is, which is a pure action game, there is very little outside of that. It's an action robot building game. Uh, it delivers all of those things to an absolutely perfect degree, in my opinion. So Yeah, you've called it a perfect game on at least three podcasts at this point. There we go, yeah. Who's bouncing on the Pinocchio dick now? Well, me. You're bouncing, you're bouncing on the big old robot dick. <laughs> boing, boing, get the dick out your mouth. So, moving on swiftly, uh, we have the best RPG category. The nominees were, once again, Baldur's Gate 3. You don't need to read any of the rest out, as we said at the time. It very much was obvious that Baldur's Gate 3 was going to take this. I will, out of respect for the other games, <laughs> mention them. Uh, the other games in that lineup were Final Fantasy 16, Lies of P, Sea of Stars, and Starfield. Uh, and I gotta say, Todd Howard was sitting pretty quiet this evening. Starfield really didn't manage to scoop up anything. But no, that's right. Baldur's Gate 3, clear winner for best RPG. And the final category that we'll cover tonight is the most anticipated game. The entries were Tekken 8, Star Wars Outlaws, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, Hades 2, and Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. James, I believe your vote for this category was Tekken 8. It was Tekken 8 because it looks amazing and I thought that the world was really clamouring for a new Tekken game given that Tekken 7 came out in, I believe, 2015 initially. And I, I've got to say, I, I think I agree with you, although perhaps maybe on a slightly smaller scale than the world. I think that uh, a lot of people are very much looking forward to Tekken 8. Um, it's almost, it feels like a dead cert at this point that Tekken 8 is going to be a banger. I think it's it's just one of those cases of pure mass appeal, and this is around most anticipated, so we're going for big numbers here, which is what informed my decision of Final Fantasy 7. I was thinking Final Fantasy, I was weighing it up against the mass appeal of Star Wars, but I do think that a lot of the fandom of Star Wars lies purely in the movies. It's a bit of a split. I think that there's obviously a crossover between a certain group, 
But I put my money on Final Fantasy VII, given that that has just got such a furore around it. It was such huge news when the remake was initially announced. I put my money on Final Fantasy VII, and it did end up being Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Not a huge surprise there, given that Hades II, Like a Dragon, which is uh, part of the Yakuza series that used to exist, that then turned into the Like a Dragon series. I always feel like these are kind of fairly niche things. They're games that are absolutely worth looking forward to. And obviously people showed up enough in numbers that they got nominated. But I don't think anything really quite hits the spot like Final Fantasy VII. Mm, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised by this. But given that uh, the first one seemed to disappoint a lot of people, I was a bit surprised that this might win. It's a fair comment. The reception to the original Final Fantasy remake wasn't, you know, absolutely flawless. It was lukewarm at best, let's be real. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that there were legitimate criticisms of the game, but I think that people overall did appreciate the amount of detail that had gone into remaking the game. I think that there were just a lot of people in agreement that there was a lot of fluff and additional content that didn't need to be in there. And I think people were more annoyed about the fact that the game just didn't have as much scope as they were hoping. I'd only heard bad things, um, just in terms of it not being what they wanted. People that I'd spoken to that played it. Not played it myself, though, so I can't really comment. Um, But I agree. Uh, When you've got Star Wars, Tekken and Final Fantasy in your lineup, however good Hades 2 and Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth are going to be and however much people are looking forward to them, there's levels to this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this one is probably out of all these categories, the biggest kind of popularity contest because it's kind of hype without any basis for giving this award. We haven't really seen anything super concrete for any of these titles. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a real interesting one. And it'll be an interesting year for games next year, no doubt. Okay, man, so I think we've pretty extensively covered everything that went on at the Game Awards 2023, or at least everything that I found interesting at the Game Awards 2023. And with that said, that is the close of the news section for this week. It's time to move on to the... A Games Challenge! So James, this challenge, big week this week. The final, potentially, episode of the Games Challenge. It all rested on this this week. Do or die, baby. Do or die indeed, man. Hesitation is defeat. And the challenge you set me last week... Uh, 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 I didn't set it, you picked it. Well, I mean, it was it was very much a shot That makes it sound like we've pick. rigged it or something. No, I, I, it, was a, it was a roulette for anyone that didn't listen to last week's episode. Yeah. Well, it's a roulette without knowing what the prizes are for the Surprise roulette. roulette. So this, yeah, this is just very much like a, a lottery combined with a shot in the dark. But uh, the challenge was to beat Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice from a continued save file that I had previously without following the Shura ending, which I'll go ahead and say was impossible at this point because I'd already progressed far enough in the game that I kind of locked off the Shura ending anyway. I believe my exact words were, get the proper ending. The proper ending. Well, it turns out there's actually two kind of proper endings following that, um, which I wasn't aware of, I must admit. I thought there was only kind of the one ending or the Shura ending, so that was a a new bit of information to me when I started the playthrough. Um, The coverage of this game is going to be very story-light because this challenge was a complete challenge um i'll admit it james i was i was skipping cutscenes because <laughs> I, got, I, I didn't intend i didn't set out to skip cutscenes but i suddenly and quite quickly realized starting this thing i was so out of the loop with what was actually going on in the game uh that i just had no hope of kind of catching up on the storyline 
And it was almost like, in my head, I put this playthrough as a bit of a wash. This was just a completed playthrough. I will return to Sekiro at some point and pay attention to the storyline. That's not really what the spirit of what I was trying to do with the finish a game <laughs> you haven't completed yet challenges, but fair enough. I don't blame you for that. No, yeah, no. Um, uh, given the stakes of this challenge, I very much was setting out to take the approach of what do I need to do to beat this game whilst avoiding the sure ending? Because at the time, I didn't know that I'd already passed that point in the game. Uh, so so I, I very much set out to just kill everything that I needed to. Um, and, and part of my research into this involved having a look into what were all the mandatory bosses. It turns out from a list that I picked out, there were quite a few more mandatory bosses than that list initially listed because it wasn't quite counting mini bosses that have fog gates behind them that you then need to defeat in order to progress to the boss. Um, so there was a couple things thrown in there. But really, we'll go ahead and say there was about nine main bosses to defeat in this challenge. Uh, nine mainline bosses altogether. Um, some of them weren't particularly mainline bosses, but um, given that I've started talking about them now, probably no time better than now to get into the start of the challenge after I'd done that little bit of research. Yes, where did your file actually pick up from? Obviously, you won't be able to tell me necessarily what you've done before because you've just said you didn't know the story, but where were you? What did your character look like? So picking up the game, I think I had a vitality of roughly 13, 14 or something like that. And I think my attack power was hanging around four or five, maybe. So, so getting towards halfway through the game, give or take. Yes. Maybe a little bit before. Yeah, I would say a little bit before, maybe about a third of the way through the game if you were going to take all of the game in terms of all of its scope and complete every boss and do everything. Yeah, around roughly that. There was a lot of areas that I had to play through um, this week that I hadn't gone into before. But you'd clearly defeated some uh, bosses and gotten some prayer beads and stuff if your attack power was up. And... Exactly, and I was getting those through doing some of these bosses as well. And thankfully, I had quite a few Gourd Seeds in the bank at that point. So I had a good amount of health uh, health options. Yeah. I think I had, yeah, Estesis, right? Exactly, yeah. I had enough health items to use. I think I started on about eight. And I think the maximum is 10 or 11. So I was starting at a point in the game where I was a third of the way through the game realistically, but I had also done everything up until that point, 100%, including some of the later game stuff as well, because I'd visited an area in the game that isn't a prerequisite to complete the game, but is a prerequisite for this challenge, which is the Harata Estate. Uh, and there was a couple of bosses that I'd gone and beaten there. Juzo the Drunkard and the Old Madam Butterfly, or Old Lady Butterfly, I think she's called. Those are, those are prerequisites to not getting the Shura ending. Uh, so once you've done those... Yeah, yeah. So they are things that you need to do if you want to get the game to a point where you don't get the Shura ending. Also, I've read from walkthroughs anyway. I'm not sure that's true. Because you can say no to the owl before you... Because I did that. I said no to owl and avoided the Shura ending much way before I did Lady Butterfly. That's... Uh, yeah, but I think that she is needed to be defeated for you to get an ending other than the Shura ending. I think you need to have... To get an ending past the Shura ending, she is one of the bosses, according to lists, that you need to have defeated. You might be right, because I did just do all bosses and I did her relatively quickly because I knew she was early game and I could kick her ass. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I, I always thought she wasn't essential. I think because Harata Estate technically isn't essential if you're fine with the sure ending, but there are items that you pick up along that route that you need to get to, to end up with one of the better endings, apparently. I know you have to do it for the purification ending because there's a boss you have to do that you don't have to do in any of the other endings for that. But Fair enough. I mean, I, I just took it as red and it wasn't a huge obstacle for me anyway. I'd obviously beaten those in, in the previous playthrough anyway, so they weren't even an obstacle in here. 
So I think the boss that I'd most recently defeated as part of that run, the main boss, was the Guardian Ape, uh, which is like a large hulking ape with a big sword embedded in its neck slash chest that you end up wrenching out of it, decapitating it in the process, only for it to come back, pick up its decapitated head, and start swinging the sword at you in a crazy fashion. And that was the boss that I defeated in my previous playthrough, which led me up to the point where the next place that I needed to go was Senpu Temple to take on the folding screen monkeys. Gimmick boss. <laughs> yeah, kind of a gimmick boss. Definitely a not, gimmick not boss. Not kind of, yeah, very much a gimmick boss. They've got next to no health, and I've got to say that I kind of missed out on the gimmick of this because I just, I think I happened to take a couple of right turns and landed on one of the monkeys anyway and was able to just get a kill without even needing to figure out what I really needed to do. And it kind of followed a similar fashion with the second monkey as well. Now I do get that this is a reference to the see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil uh, uh, kind of Chinese mythology I believe it's from. I just absolutely butchered my way through these. I didn't follow any sort of gimmick apart from the very final monkey that I shot up to a roof because he kept on seeing me and summoning other ones, but they were all really a case of just tracking them down, not losing them once they'd started running from you, and there's always a point in their route where they're running around the level where they slow down and you've got an opportunity to get a killing blow, or at least slash them and begin that process of getting a killing blow. Um, so, yeah, very quick boss fight, very quickly out of the way. I'm surprised you say quick. It's not hard, but... I'm surprised you found everyone so quickly. Well, when I say quick, I mean no longer than no longer than ten minutes, maybe five minutes. Yeah, I'm still surprised like that with like never having played it before. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I I don't know whether it was impressive. I think it was uh, luck. A lot of it. I think I kind of not quite fell on the enemy, if you know what I mean. But like, it just happened in scenarios where I happened to just guess their parving really well and caught up with them quickly and maybe i accidentally killed one of the harder ones to get early on i don't know um but yeah i honestly sat down after recording the pod last week i said to you james i'm gonna get started on this challenge this is a big one uh given the stakes this week i wanted to get into it i did sit down and i thought right i'll get to senpu temple i'll get to the first boss and then i'll put it down because i'm in a very good place to pick it up the next day and then obviously curiosity got to me a little bit and i thought right i'll give it a go Take on the folding screen monkeys. Did it first try very quickly. So at that point, I was like, oh, right, well, okay, well, that's out of the way now. Great progress. I could put it down here, but I'm going to go on to the next boss now because I want to get myself in the position where I'm right ready to fight the next boss. And that turned out to be back in the Ashina Depths, which was a place that I'd explored before. And it was actually back to now, this time, the Headless Ape, the one that I mentioned before that I decapitated and had reanimated itself. It's time for boss fight number dos. And there's a bit of a change up in this boss fight because it's it's pretty standard as far as it goes. It follows a very format to the second stage of the original ape fight. However, when he hits his second stage, he summons a buddy. His mate. And that does change things up quite considerably. It's a brown ape this time, a large brown ape. I'll be honest, it was giving me a lot of trouble to begin with. Dealing with one of these apes was difficult for me the first time around. Dealing with two of them became almost impossible especially because this game is about slowly whittling down someone's posture to the point where you get a death blow. Very hard to do that and focus on one ape when the other one is just absolutely pounding you into the dirt. It's a fairly big arena though, you can sort of you can sort of split them out. I was actually having quite a bit of trouble separating them, I will admit, because although it is a big arena, they are very agile. Yeah, you have to bait one of them into the dive attack for optimal spots and then they're on the floor for a bit, you attack the other one. Rinse, repeat. My strategy for this one was not that. I remembered that the firecrackers are very effective against animals in the game. And after a few attempts and struggling, I was like, what happens if I stand in the exact place where she lands and just dump every single firecracker that I have? 
Turns out that absolutely melts her uh, poise bar, and very quickly I was able to defeat it. Maybe after my second or third attempt at that, after the original guardian ape that was beheaded had finally stopped punching me while I was trying to get the death blow, I did finally and quite easily manage to take out that second ape. And at that point in the fight, once you've got rid of one of them, and you probably do want to focus on taking out his mate first, uh, the Guardian 8 becomes a very easy boss fight because he's got no new moves. It's the same thing as what you've been doing two times now before. Very straightforward. Okay, so after defeating the Headless Ape, we moved over to the Mist Noble, which, again, feels like a very much a, a gimmicky boss in the game. I don't call it a boss, Will. <laughs> Not even really a gimmicky boss, is it? It's just kind of, it feels like an NPC enemy that you just walk in and kill. But it does drop an essential item in the game that you need later on. And it does have a big health bar that appears on the screen, but you can literally one-shot it by dropping from the roof. It's not a boss. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't one-shot it through dropping through the roof. I did fight it, but it didn't manage to get a move off either because I was just slashing it so rapidly i say that does it have only one health bar it might have two health bars and you can get one of them instantly from the roof and then you can just two shot it i can't remember exactly what it is it's very easy though it's not even worth talking about it's very very easy no no so we move on swiftly to the corrupted monk because there are a couple of mini bosses that are just before the corrupted monk however you're pretty easily able to just run past them and enter the boss arena which is what I did. Call me a coward if you like, but uh, I had bigger fish to fry and uh, the Corrupted Monk was one of them. You're on a challenge run. That's perfectly acceptable. So I took on the Corrupted Monk. Uh, the Corrupted Monk is like a large shrouded priest-like figure. It's got a long flowing cape around it and it attacks you using a very large katana. Uh, so it is possible to use an inventory item to make the Corrupted Monk a little easier. You can use the Divine Confetti because at that point he's his appearing to you in a sort of spectral form and it makes objects like that uh, more tangible and therefore it essentially doubles your damage because if you don't use the Divine Confetti you are doing half damage to it and I think probably less posture damage as well. Uh, and and this one really didn't take too many attempts again. It was a handful of attempts over pretty quickly. His attacks are pretty telegraphed and he doesn't have so... He or she doesn't have so many of those stab moves uh, or, or things to kind of be that worried about. A couple of annoying combos, but yeah, nothing to... And you can also run around the arena and make it really easy for yourself, just reposition. Well, he has actually has a couple of moves that are very easy and a couple of combos that are very easy to predict. One of them where he just spins around repeatedly and it's the same timing every time. There's no double slashes, no nothing. And it's often followed by a stab as well. So it's very predictable Mercury counter moment. Easy boss fights, um, he was out of the way pretty quickly. And at that point in the game, uh, with that handful of bosses down, we're time to get onto the, the real serious boss fights of the game, is what I would say. Those are kind of out of the way, and they were out of the way before the weekend was over, I'll be honest. Uh, I think by Sunday, I had defeated the Corrupted Monk, and I was ready to move on to the first real challenge of my playthrough, uh, which was back at Ashina Castle, and it was time to fight Daddy Great Shinobi Ow. In the easier of his two fights. It's true, I yes. I first yeah. timed this one, so I, I think. Did you really? From memory, I first or second time timed it. I didn't find this one too bad at all. Fair play. I mean, he does have a lot of surprising moves that I'm I'm surprised that you did it first time because there's a lot of trickery in his moveset. He'll often do a big combo, then dive away, and you think you've got breathing room before raining down a shower of shuriken on you. I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure I did because you fight him in the same arena as Genichiro that you fight earlier, in it. You do, that's correct, yeah. Um... A good fight. This was a really good one. This definitely required me to get the jumps and kicking off of him when he does the sweeps and the Mercury counter. This was the first one where I really had to switch on and I wasn't relying on any past experience of playing the game previously. This was entirely new to me 
Um, because the boss points up until that point, I don't think were a huge challenge. Corrupted Monk was the only new fight that I'd had, and compared to Great Shinobi Owl, the Corrupted Monk is nothing. Thankfully, as you mentioned there though, I was fighting him in his weakened form, and I did manage to beat him as well. And I should say, Great Shinobi Owl was kind of like a large, tall, lumbering, super ripped old dude. It's your dad, uh, that attacks yeah. you. Yeah, he's, well, your adopted dad, isn't he? He kind of found you on the battlefield, and the first thing he did to you was slice your face open and then adopt you. Yeah, daddy owl. It's the iron code, mate. Odd. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, obey the iron code. But I was able to defeat him, and... Uh, Honestly, it wasn't, yeah, wasn't too bad. It was just, just a case of parrying this guy enough times, building up the counter meter and getting those death blows. Shout outs to Little Aggie on YouTube as well. I didn't actually use any of his videos for this run. Um, however, I have watched a couple of his Sekiro videos since because after playing the game, I kind of took an interest in ways that you could do this. And, and there the is best. a very interesting cheese. He is absolutely one of the best uh, Sekiro players, but there is a very interesting cheese with our where you can... Make sure you don't lock onto him. Kind of get him into a corner of the room and just keep stabbing him with the same move repeatedly and he will do nothing to stop you. Oh, really? So Jokes. there's some very breakable AI in that boss fight. I will say I didn't take advantage of it. I wasn't aware of it at the time when I did it. But uh, considering that I said that he was the first real challenge of the game, it's very interesting how you can apparently break that boss fight. So uh, after defeating Al it's kind of pretty much time to move on to the Fountainhead Palace because you get a couple of upgrades that enable you to travel routes that you haven't previously. I think one of the most important ones is your underwater breathing Mibu ability. And uh, it kind of gives a whole dimension to the game because there's plenty of areas in the game previously that you'd have gone into that you wouldn't have been able to fully explore. So there's actually quite a lot of backtracking that now becomes possible for you if you want to. Um, as I say on this run, I absolutely didn't do that. I pressed on, but uh, it does get me interested to see what I will find when I hit this game up on New Game Plus. Uh, so we'll move on now to The Corrupted Monk 2, which is the next boss fight on the list at the Fountainhead Palace. This is a much more powerful version of the Corrupted Monk, a much less ethereal version of the Corrupted Monk as well. No longer a projection, it's the real thing. Exactly. And it feels like he hits harder, he's got additional combos. Whenever you hit him between phases, he also enters an ethereal stage where he does disappear and a load of kind of spectral versions of himself enter the arena and repeatedly slash at you. You can use the branches around the arena uh, to avoid them. And I actually found that kind of quite hard to do in this boss fight, unless you're spinning that stick really fast and you have the sensitivity turned up high so that you can see a new branch and kind of continuously zip between the branches without ever really landing on one of them. I actually found that quite unpredictable as to when I was going to get hit by those attacks. So I had a number of attempts at this boss fight that were made quite difficult by the fact I'd lost a large chunk of my health just because I'd accidentally landed on a branch for half a second. I found this boss really hard, so I'm, I'm not surprised. Phase one's fine because it's the same as the first fight, but phase two and three, very, yes. like, I found a lot harder because, like you say, there's just one attack he does, or they do, I don't know, I should know what they are. It's so one attack they do where they just fucking make the whole arena like unplayable. You just can't do anything. Yeah, that's that's at the point where you just swing around the branches the whole yeah, time. Exactly, it's just it's infuriating. And it's RNG. So you might not get it. Oh, really? It, it seemed to happen every time for me. In the transition between phase one and two, it does. But then it can happen as a random attack as well. And I think that's all RNG. Right. I never had it as a random attack, thankfully. Okay. I always got it in between the stages. But what I did notice is that the duration of those spectral forms appearing seemed to vary quite significantly. There were some times where it was a few seconds. There were some times where it felt like 30 seconds or more um, of just being bombarded by them. So I'm not really sure what affected that. Maybe it was the speed at which I was 
swinging around the branches. I really don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, tough fight though. Tough fight. Tough fight this one. Yeah, absolutely. Thankfully, in the later stages, some of the easier to parry moves returned from the move set on your original encounter. The main opener attack that the corrupted monk would do when you first encounter them doesn't actually come out until phase two uh, when you encounter them for the second time. And that is a quite an easy one to uh, to parry. And I was getting by this boss fight by kind of baiting the moves that I wanted. So other than the added dimension of having a few extra summons on the field, uh, this boss fight did follow similar patterns and it did have things that I could recognize from the first fight. So I was able to defeat this boss. Very nice. And at that point in the week, I was feeling pretty good about things, I got to say, because I felt like I'd made a huge chunk of progress, much more chunkier than I anticipated I was going to make. And I was feeling very confident because I'd read about some of these boss fights coming up and they had mentioned that Owl was a particularly really difficult one, as well as the Corrupted Monk too. And after getting through those, I was feeling pretty strong about the remaining bosses in the game. Although being very conscious that uh, this is a game where the final boss, or at least one of the final bosses in the game, is really, really ball-breakingly tough. Uh, but up next, though, before we get to that, is the Divine Dragon, which is another kind of a gimmicky, almost cutscene boss. Story boss. This is at the very last area of Fountainhead Palace. Uh, you wander in, and you essentially just have to do a lot of running around, avoiding giant sweeping sword attacks from a celestial dragon that's perched atop a cherry blossom tree in the distance. Yeah, it looks kind of like Seath from Dark Souls 1. A little bit, yeah, yeah. A more cute version of Seath. Yeah, they're both white. That's basically the only thing that looks alike. They're both white and dragons. And it kind of has like a pale blue lightning sword that it casts through the air and it kind of shoots slightly moon sword style beams at you. It kind of cuts through the sky and the range of the sword is massively extended based on these beams that come hurtling at you. But as long as you keep moving, they're very easy to avoid. And really, all you need to do is wait for these tree roots to spout out of the ground. They get hit with lightning. And at that point, whenever you zipline to one, you can catch the lightning and cast it back at the Divine Beast. I think you do that four or five times whilst avoiding its various attacks. And you eventually stagger it enough so that you're able to walk up to it and yank a... Well, it's, it's called like the Gift of the Tear of the Dragon, but it's more like you just stab it in its eye and tear out its tear ducks or something like pretty that. much uh it doesn't really feel like a gift it feels like that one was kind of more taken than given yeah very much so the only other thing you have to deal with in that fight is these sort of tree mobs that come out and they're like one shots they're really not very difficult oh that's true yes the fight does start off with those and i think if you get a death blow on one of them from one of the tree sprouts that comes out you can one shot a bunch of them in your radius as well taking out everything around it so yeah that was i wasn't expecting that i'd never actually ever seen that in any Sekiro playthroughs that i'd seen before so i I guess I've just not been paying attention. Quite an easy boss fight, though. Yeah, I would be surprised if many people died on this without making, like, just a silly mistake sort of thing. Uh, So that, at this point, that really does kind of bring us down to the final two bosses. And really, I'll kind of class this as is one boss, really, because it almost feels a bit like the Horayalu ending of Elden Ring. It very quickly transitions from one boss to another. Um, At this point in the game, you get the secret escape whistle and you find yourself almost back where you were at the very beginning of the game, albeit at a different time. You unlock the secret exit and you go on to face Genichiro, uh, which is someone that you've fought around a third of the way through the game to begin with, maybe a little bit less than that. And right at the start as well. The first really difficult boss fight of the game that I encountered. In hindsight, I don't find it challenging now, but that was the real ball breaker of my initial Sekiro playthrough was Genichiro Part 1. Thankfully, uh, with all of that in hindsight and remembering a lot of his moveset, 
Genichiro was very quick to be defeated as part of this boss fight. So the main boss fight is actually Sword Saint Ishin, who, after Genichiro slices himself open at the collarbone, kind of crawls out of Genichiro's body uh, and appears as uh, Sword Saint Ishin. And this is, without doubt, in my mind, the hardest boss fight in the game. Um, super, super hard. He has three health bars to go through, which... I'm sure that there are enemies elsewhere in the game that also have free health bars, but this was the first one that I'd encountered, uh, given the fact that I was kind of beelining through the latter parts of this game. Apart from Corrupted Monk, obviously. Did Corrupted Monk have free health bars? Second phase did. Ah. Three death blows, anyway, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. It did have three death blows. I just never, I think, well, do you know what I think it was? I think the first phase of Corrupted Monk, after a few attempts at it, was over so quickly Whereas there was no phase that I found easy in Sword Saint Ishin. It's all tough. This guy is uh, dressed in samurai garb with a flowing white fancy cloak. Uh, he's equipped with... With whatever the f*** he wants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, so he's got a samurai sword. He's got a gun to add uh, insult to injury and a few other tricks up his sleeve as well. So he's got a lot of ranged options as well as options close up. Uh, and they're really like this was by far all of the time I'd spent uh, doing the game's challenge before this went back into it to do <laughs> Sword Saint Ishin. And uh, thankfully, I, I think the fact that I was in such a good position in terms of having my heals and stuff like that went a long way in terms of helping move this boss fight. I just don't think I would have been able to make any amount of headway without those heals because I really struggled to get good at this boss fight. It wasn't like all of the ones before it where by the end of it, I absolutely destroyed the boss because I knew all the combos and was kind of having a fun time doing it. This one stayed difficult throughout. I didn't keep a record of attempts. I didn't keep a, an estimation of time. I do know that I spent over 20 hours in this challenge this week, um, pushing forward this challenge. But I'm going to say that so much of that was Sword Saint Ishii in the final boss of the game. I'm not surprised. Very, very difficult and very hard to master. Um, all respects to YouTubers like Little Aggie that absolutely destroy challenges like that and know his moveset. There are so many permutations and variations on the start of his combo compared to how it can end. It's almost impossible to predict without just having perfect reflexes and knowing the boss back to front. I never got to that stage. I will say... I did beat Sword Saint Ishin, and therefore I did manage to complete Sekiro, but I dragged myself past the finishing line on Sword Saint Ishin. I mean, well, firstly, congratulations. Secondly, I agree, because when I beat this, every other boss fight in the entire game, when I finally beat it, I thought, yep, I've, I've beat that boss. I might not have mastered it, but I've beat you. With Sword Saint Ishin, I was... I, I didn't beat him so much as I lucked out. That's what it felt like. I probably did beat him, and it was probably really good on my part, but it felt like I just lucked out because I'd been battered for days. Victory was not pretty. I came away beaten and bruised and with no more Estus left. Exactly. Probably like your last speck of health. Yeah. No yeah, more revives. Yeah. yeah. I was the same. But... All of that is behind us because the most important thing is that I completed the game's challenge this week. Congratulations, my friend. So um, perhaps more importantly than winning at the game's challenge this week, as I mentioned before, this is potentially the final episode of the game's challenge. Well, it turns out it is actually the final week of the game's challenge this week because after succeeding and beating Sekiro, the score now lies at 6-5 to me. With no challenges remaining. With no challenges remaining indeed. So I am very, very happy to say that I have claimed the crown of the game's challenge for this year. <laughs> 
we never really landed on whether it was going to be a crown or, or a belt. Or I, I think we kind of talked quite a lot about it being a belt. Well, I mean, you, you were literally making me a belt at one point in a forge. Yeah, it got forgotten about. Long forgotten projects. Who knows? I might actually get around to making an award this year now that it's uh, going to rest on my shoulders slash belt slash waistline. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Favoritism. <laughs> no, congratulations, man. Very well done. Thank you very much. And I'm glad that you like were able to do Sekiro and get like the final boss and stuff because it is a tough one that even though I didn't think you'd necessarily struggle with most of it leading up to that um, that one three phases well four phases technically it's tough so you did very well that boss fight was was very difficult uh, and it did take me it did take me a lot of time what I will say though is is overall this was definitely not the hardest challenge that I've had in the scheme of things I think um, this was a it was a challenge at points but I think overall um some of the challenges earlier in the year have been really difficult. So this was kind of like a welcome one that I didn't have to absolutely grit my teeth and, and bear it on this one. But I'm happy to have walked away victorious this year. So um, with all that said, and without kind of covering any more old ground, uh, we've got to figure out what we're doing next week, James. And I don't think we're really in a position to uh, describe that <laughs> at the time of recording. So I guess we're going to have to come up with a plan for next week, seeing as there is no tiebreaker as we'd made room for. But with all of that said, and whilst we dip back into the lab to come up with something to do for next week, I think it's time that we've well and truly rounded off this episode. I think we can close this one off and move on to the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pod Mode, or one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash hoodafunk and with just a final humble request to our listeners to please do follow us on the social media platforms we just listed there please don't be shy to get in touch get involved we'd love to hear from you feel free to reach out and we'd be really interested to hear your opinions on our episodes things that you'd like us to do in the future we're always keen to engage with our listeners yeah particularly when you can potentially give us some ideas for next week yeah absolutely guys go wild (laughs) (laughs) so with all of that said we'll see you guys next week take care everyone goodbye